0: Hey, those who are watching, before we get started, I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't know if we ever did this before, but could you express your appreciation there on the other side of the lens for the people that are here tonight? And the reason I'm asking you to do this is because we're filming this on Tuesday, and this crowd came out in in the snowstorm, and then I heard, I've been here all afternoon, and then I heard people saying that, yeah, they got some of the roads plowed, and then came the rain which froze. So especially on 96, there's this hill. People kind of slid in here for the last half mile or so. So those on the other side of the lens, can we express our appreciation for people who are making this happen. We're, we're so thankful. Thanks for coming out. It makes such a difference to, to have people here as we're, we're sharing, we're opening the Bibles together, we're singing these songs. Um, all the people that help with the cameras and, and, and back there in, in the booth, thank you for coming out. Because we, we want to make sure that each and every week we're able to connect with you. We know some of you are just, you're on vacation or you can't make it. In and, um, and then others, this this is your home church. Um, you're not able to come right now to to attend regularly in person. And we love you. We care about you. And this team here is really committed to you. So I just wanted to start with that. And So hopefully you guys felt, felt the future love coming our way. We call it studio church time here. Um, we live in the future. Well, anyway. So... Let's let's get started. Well, well, welcome to the first message in the first series in our brand new year here. Our goal at Emmanuel is we, we want to take people on a journey over the course of a year. And so we try our best on that journey to match up the season that we're in with the series that we're in. And we purposely chose this series for this season because this is the time of year that a lot of people starting a new year, you're making goals, you're thinking ahead, whether it's relationship goals, financial goals, fitness goals, a lot of people right now are saying, I I want to live with intentionality going into this next year. And this is a series that we hope is gonna be really helpful for that because what we're gonna talk about in this series, it affects everything. It affects absolutely everything. Uh, Well, as I was preparing for this series, I came across a quote by a guy who was way ahead of his time. His name was Blaise Pascal. He was a 17th century genius who was known for the impact that he made in areas like mathematics and physics and many of the sciences. And get this, as I was reading a little bit about him, in the 1600s, as a teenager, he started developing a calculator. And and you can Google this, Pascal's Calculator. It's a real thing. As a teenager in the 1600s, this guy had such a mind, he was developing a calculator. Crazy. Well, here's a quote by somebody worth listening to if you want to stretch yourself a little bit. Uh, Here's what he says. He says, the sensibility of men to trifles and his insensibility to great things indicates a strange inversion or in the words of our own Pastor Jason, TikTok will make you dumb. You know? <laughs> if you want to elevate your mind, if you want to elevate your mind, here's one of those great thing questions. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. What's the truth about the real Jesus, and why should we care? What is the truth about the real Jesus, and why should we care? History's filled with a lot of people. A lot of people like Blaise Pascal. A lot of people that we can learn a lot from. But only one man's life divides history into two. From B.C. to A.D. How much do you know about him and why should you care? How reliable are the accounts of his life and teaching? What evidence is there, if any, to support the Bible's claims about who he was and what he said and the things that he did? What is it about Jesus that inspired people On every continent in every generation to reorder their entire lives around him what was it what makes this Jewish carpenter from an obscure village who died 2,000 years ago worth reflecting on today as we start a new year what why would we look at him of all people well this is a series about that if you got questions about whether or not Jesus was a real person if you got questions about whether or not the accounts of his life were accurate, if you'd like to increase your confidence going into 2023, that yes, I can lean into these teachings. Yes, I can put my full faith and trust in his way. If you'd like a list of resources, when people come to you over the course of this next year and have questions, this is a series that we hope you find really, really helpful. We're going to dive right in now with another quote. This one's from a brilliant author and scholar named C.S. Lewis. He says, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance. But if it's true, it's of utmost importance. All four of the oldest, most thoroughly vetted biographies of Jesus' life, they're all included in the Bible. And what we're going to look at right now is a statement. We're going to look at a statement um, from one of the most thoroughly vetted biographies of Jesus' life that was included in the Bible again. This one comes from someone who claims to be an eyewitness. His name is John, and if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to John chapter 1. We're going to start with verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible at home, here's a great thing to do to start off the new year. Go to Bible.com and download their Bible app. It's been downloaded half a billion times. Half a billion times. So join in and and be one of these folks who is looking into the Bible. All right, John (laughs) dives right into the deep end. Listen to this. Um, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is loaded language. I actually had to practice verbalizing this one a couple times because the language really stretches us. It's such loaded language that pastor, scholar, and author N.T. Wright, he puts it like this. He said, John knows perfectly well that he's making language go beyond what's normally possible. He goes, but it's Jesus that makes him do it. In other words, human language itself has trouble describing jesus of nazareth john opens with the words in the beginning where else do we find these words in the bible genesis in the beginning first book first chapter of the bible john immediately connects the story of jesus to this much bigger narrative the meta-narrative of the god of the old testament the god of creation the god of moses of noah of abraham king david the god of deborah of esther of ruth So, here we are. We're not even to verse 4 yet. We're not even to verse 4. And in his gospel, John introduces Jesus as much more than another prophet, another priest, another king. His origin story, according to this eyewitness of Jesus' life, goes back even earlier than the beginning. He's outside of time, as we understand it. He was with God from the start, John says, which implies relationship and distinction, and yet... John also says he wasn't just with God, he was God, he says. Not God-like, not a God. He was God, according to John. Divine, eternal. And also, again, this is all in verses one through three. It says, through him, through the word, as John calls him, all things were made. All right, let's look at verse four. Verse four says this. In him was life and the life was the light of men. In the beginning, in Genesis, the word of God brought forth light and brought forth life. What do we find in Jesus? We find light and life. As John's eyewitness account continues, Jesus brings light into our world. He unmasks darkness for what it is. He exposes lies and false beliefs and sin and evil, and he also brings new life. Revealing how we can be reborn, born again, John talks about. Born again through faith in him and experience abundant, eternal life that can't be found anywhere else. All right, John continues, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, depending on what translation you're looking at, it, it words it differently, and that's because I'm told this is an extremely hard verse to translate. Really hard to translate. There's a lot of different translations, but the common ground seems to be that John right here, five verses in, is saying there's going to be a conflict here between light and darkness. And we certainly see that play out as John's gospel continues. All right, let's jump ahead to verse 14. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as the... the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so again, these, word, these languages being stretched to, to, to inc- accommodate these truths about Jesus. And this is the kind of claim that John makes right here that has ignited as much skepticism back then as it does today. John was daring the Jewish audience to believe that Jesus dwelt the same way among them that God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle back in the time of Moses. And at the same time, he's daring them to believe that. He's daring the Greek readers to believe that the spiritual is not completely separate in a different sphere from flesh and blood, which the Greeks, many of them believed. Jesus didn't simply appear to be human. In Jesus, humanity and divinity, they shared the same space. How is that even possible? Okay, John says a lot of these things. Why should we care? Why should we care about any of this? I was thinking about that, and it really comes down to the magnitude of the claims and the credibility of the claims. And so I was trying to think of an example. maybe Maybe this is helpful. Let's say you're going through an attic, you're going through a garage, you come across an old painting. And some credible person looks at that, old, that painting, and they go, OK, this painting, it's only worth 25 cents. I mean, this, this is just, you know, some, some dude or whatever. So if you've got an expert telling you, or a credible witness telling you it's only worth 25 cents, how motivated are you to go get this appraised? Not very motivated. Credible person says it's only 25 cents. Now, same story, let's change the magnitude. Let's say a credible source sees that painting. They go, this is a da Vinci. I'm convinced of this. This is a Rembrandt. This is a Monet. Now, all of a sudden, if it's a credible person with a magnitude of claim like that, how motivated are you to say, I want to look into this, right? You had to at least look into it because of the magnitude of the claim. Now, when it comes to Jesus, if these claims are true, how do you get a higher magnitude than this? Look at this, John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. How do you trump that? How do you higher magnitude level than that? These are huge claims. And what we're going to do in this series, in the second half, we're going to look at a number of these claims. We're going to look at them, at these things that Jesus said, these claims that he made, and talk about the implications. But the claims are only claims if they're not credible because people make stuff up all the time, right? And and people make mistakes all the time, right? And people pass along things that they think are true but aren't true. So how do you assess if something's credible? That's what we're going to do in the first half of this series. How do we assess whether or not these claims are credible? Because if they're credible, then the magnitude really does matter. Now, what I want to do with the remainder of our our time today is I want to provide a big-picture framework. That's what we're going to do today, a big-picture framework. How do reasonable people assess, did something happen does it look like something happened, something worth exploring to see if it is credible and if it really matters? So again, I was trying to think of an illustration for this and I remember a picture that I saw as a kid, at least a couple pictures of this, this place. I remember there's, a, there's these pictures out there of a meteorite that crashed into Arizona, into the desert and left a big crater. Maybe some of you have seen one or more of these photos as well. I remember seeing them in different books. And I remember thinking, that's pretty cool because I, I just look at that picture and instantly I'm like, something hit. Something hit the ground in Arizona in that spot. Why? Because there's a crater. It left a mark. There's evidence that supports that conclusion. How do you make a similar case for a person? You You examine the evidence. I recently came across this article. This is interesting. I came across this article that was written by a frustrated historian. Frustrated historian. She's frustrated because apparently there are a lot of Alexander the Great deniers out there. I didn't know they existed, but on the internet, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, right? Alexander the Great denier. So she's frustrated. She's like, how are there Alexander the Great deniers? Here's what she writes in her article. She says, one of the things that bothers me the most about the internet are all these pernicious articles claiming that such and such well-attested historical figure from ancient times never existed at all. One of the most annoying claims out there on the internet is that there's no evidence for the existence of Alexander the Great. This claim is blatantly ridiculous, but yet I've seen multiple people on their internet claiming it repeatedly in earnest. There are people going around the internet claiming that people like Socrates, Pythagoras, Jesus, even Plato, all of whom definitely really existed, did not exist. This only serves as a testament to the sheer inadequacy for education system at teaching people about ancient history. Well, in fairness to the deniers, how do you go about making a case? We don't have pictures of Alexander the Great. We don't have things that he wrote. I don't even think we have anything dated to his time period that people were writing down historically. The author offers lots of evidence, but then offered this conclusion, and see if he can see any connections here, between this and and Jesus. Clearly, the simplest, most logical explanation here is that Alexander the Great was a real person. I will not go to the trouble of presenting any more evidence here. However, I think that anyone who refuses to believe in the existence of Alexander the Great, even after all the evidence I've shown, will probably not find any amount of evidence convincing. So keep that in mind as as we... Look at this framework, this big picture framework here. Because something happened. Something happened in the Middle East. And it impacted our world immeasurably more than Alexander the Great. If you're taking notes, here's this framework. Here's here's a view from space, a 10,000-plus foot view looking down at the crater that Jesus of Nazareth created. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. The arrival of Jesus impacted world history like a meteorite. Number one, Jesus' birth caught humanity by surprise in the fullness of time at the intersection of the world. No one was expecting the word to become flesh. No one was expecting the Messiah to become a child. No one was expecting God the Father to sacrifice his one and only son on a Roman cross. And it's as if... This cosmic impact happened right where it needed to happen, right at the intersection of the world, in a place where most of the world's civilizations converged, and right at the time when the Greek language from Alexander the Great's influence and Roman roads and travel routes made it finally able to spread like never before. Number two, Jesus validated disruptive teachings with miraculous signs. There's so much loaded in this statement that it's going to take us three weeks to unpack it. We'll talk about some of Jesus' radically disruptive teachings in weeks four and six. And in week five, I'm really excited for this, we're going to have a 21st century conversation about miracles. We're going to have a conversation about that, these miraculous signs. All right, number three. Here's another thing. Witnesses became evangelists. Now, why am I putting that in the same list as miraculous signs? Why am I doing that? I probably wouldn't have if I hadn't done a little bit extra research here. I just finished a book by someone who's, that I heard a lot of people talking about. I'm like, I need to read this for myself. Um, his, the author's name is Bart Ehrman. He's considered an expert by so many people in the New Testament era. One of the reasons it has my attention is he's not a Christian. He's not a Christian, and he studies the New Testament era and a lot of the scriptures. Here's something that he said that I've never heard anyone mention before. He said, we don't know of any missionary religions in the pagan world. We don't know of any. What was it about the life of Jesus that created the world's first missionary movement? What was it about him that said, we have to tell the world about this? Number four, a New Testament was added to the holy canon. The Jewish people, they already had a collection of Scripture that they considered to be holy before Jesus arrived. In the post-Jesus world, a New Testament was added to the existing collection. Now, Ehrman says this, the guy I quoted earlier, He said, this is something else you just didn't see in the ancient world. Here's how he said it. He goes, there is nothing like the Bible. Remember, this is coming from a non-Christian who studies and is honest about history. There's nothing like the Bible. A book that would give instructions about what to believe and how to act in one's daily life. In our day and age, we think that's what religion does. He's saying it didn't exist before Jesus. All right, we'll talk about why we believe biographies of Jesus' life are credible in week three. Number five, I'll give you one more. His followers changed the world. You talk about the impact, the depth and the breadth, and the impact that Jesus had, followers, and is having in our world through his followers, it's unparalleled. We're going to spend all of next week on that. it's, It's huge. Well, the bottom line in all of these things is this. You don't have to choose between facts and faith. You don't have to choose between those two. All you need to do is look at the impact crater. It's huge. Authentic Christianity is not blind faith. It's based on evidence. Ehrman, again, who isn't Christian, put it like this. Look at these words. These are his, not mine. Jesus existed. This is coming from a non-Christian. Jesus existed. And those vocal persons who deny it, do so not because they've considered the evidence with a dispassionate eye of the historian, but because they have what? What does he say? Some other agenda that this denial serves. Another man put it like this. To those who want to deny the reality of Jesus as a historical figure, (laughs) facts are pesky things. Well, I can testify to this personally because I've tried. Many of you know this. I've tried to walk away from the faith before when I was younger, but I can't do that and be intellectually honest. I can't do that and be consistent. It'd be like believing that Crater in Arizona was made by bulldozers. That'd be easier to believe. It'd it'd be like Alexander the Great is based on exaggerated tales of some guy who was originally known as Gordon the Average. It's that kind of a thing. There's so much data There's so much data that indicates something happened. Something happened. A man, a remarkable man, was at the center of it. The eyewitness whose words we read earlier, he said this as he brought his gospel to a close. You can find this in John 21, 25. He says, now there are many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There's so much data, so much data out there but I agree with that frustrated historian I referenced earlier. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. You can't convince the closed. Can I get an amen to that? You, you, you can't. And that, that's not what I not talking talk about with faith. I'm talking just in general. When someone is closed off to something, you can't convince them of anything, Alexander the Great or whatever. I'm fully aware, I'm fully aware that there's nothing I can say that's gonna convince someone who doesn't want to at least be open to the idea. Someone who's not like, okay, Jesus isn't real, Bible's not credible, case closed. I I don't know what I can do. But for those who are seeking truth, for those who don't want to just walk in blind faith, remember Blaise Pascal, who I talked about earlier? He wasn't just a brilliant mathematician, physicist, and inventor. He was also a, quote, Christian apologist. A Christian apologist isn't someone who goes around apologizing, it's, it's a, it comes from a Greek word. It's a real thing that I didn't even know was a thing growing up. It comes from the Greek word, word apologia, which means to make a defense, to make a defense. The disciple Peter used that word in a letter that we call 1 Peter when he said, always be prepared to make a defense, to make an apologia to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Okay, back to Blaze who, when he wasn't inventing calculators, he was a Christian apologist. Christian apologist. Here's what he said about the evidence for the Christian faith. And it's important to remember, he said this in the 16th century. We have found so many more things, literary evidence, historical evidence, archeology span evidence, archeological evidence since then. He said this back in the 1600s. There's enough light for those who only desire to see and enough obscurity, for those who have a contrary disposition. Again, there's so much out there. Here's a sampling I brought with me. I've got a couple shelves in my office I've dedicated to a, a apologetics. There are resources out there that offer evidence for a creator. There are resources that address the credibility of scripture. There are resources that address specific questions that people have. This one I read a brand new one, at least new to me. I read a new one um, that I've been recommending to everybody. It's called Cold Case Christianity. I read this in preparation for the series. I thought it was going to be a wannabe book, but it's really good. It's written by a guy who was a cold case detective. He solved cold case murders, and he was an atheist. He said, what if I apply the same principles that I apply to solving a cold case to Christianity? And in the course of doing that, he became a believer. It's a fascinating book because he talks about chain of evidence, all these things that he uses as a cold case murder detective. He applies it to Christianity. It's really, really good. So that's one of the ones we recommend. Over the course of this series, oh, yeah, let me write this down. One of our wins, I invite you to write this down. Um, one of our wins for the series is to, to do this. We invite you to begin or add to your resource library during the series. You can't hold all of these facts in your head, right? There's no way um, to hold all these facts, let alone all of these. So what we want to do is we want to try to say, let's get you a, if, equip you with a resource library where when you have questions, when you have thoughts, you can use it as a as, as reference. And so we created a, a page, a landing page, emmanuel.church slash whyjesus. And you can go there, it's, it's live right now. Um, you can go there and then we have a couple books that we recommend and why we rec- recommend them. So that would be one of our wins. One of our wins would be to help better equip you to say, here are some good books that we recommend that you can go to use for resources, questions that you have, questions that other people have um, that we found really helpful. So that's one of our wins. But here's the other one. And this is more important even to us. A, a win that we at Emmanuel share with that eyewitness who have been reading um, from throughout this, this, our time together today. Here is John's stated purpose in writing his gospel, in his own words. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's our hope. Our goal is not to say, let's get into arguments. Our goal is not to say, let's get a bunch of head knowledge. Our goal is is, is like going into a new year. How do we align our lives around what matters most? And we want to invite you to explore this one-of-a-kind life. It's our hope that in doing so, you'll come to the realization you don't have to walk in blind faith, but you can put your faith in a real person who said these real things and who our language has a hard time even describing. He's so much bigger than most of us think he is. Well, as we start this journey, we want to introduce you to a song. It's a song that we'll hope to bring back at least a couple times before our series comes to a close, because there's so much to it. The title of the song is Bigger Than I Thought. And the words in this song describe what so many of us have come to experience. So many of us at our church, we once had a hard time embracing the God of the Bible because of the things that others told us about Him, or because He didn't fit into our little box of what we thought a God should do or we thought a God should be like. Feel free to sing along if you know this song, but if you don't know it, really listen to these words. You know, I'm going to pray that one day you're going to experience what many of us have, that we stop negotiating with the God of all creation and we put our trust in Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to to have this new series at the beginning of this year, and we hope that it's helpful. We hope that not only the words of our messages are helpful, but these resources that we put out there and so many of these beautiful songs, these songs that sing of your greatness and songs like this, that describes so much of our experience. Lord, we pray that this would be a helpful song to all of us, leading us one step closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people say.